Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Wednesday, everybody. We got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about mask anxiety later in the show. Well, just a general part of life. Uh, I've been going to the gym sometimes. Feels like actually one of the safer spaces. They have limited capacity. Everyone's wearing gloves and masks. People are beautifully wiping down the machines before and after each use. They have a lot of people working there wiping down the machines. It's, um, it's been great. I've actually felt really good there. Uh, feels definitely far safer being there than at, I don't know, anywhere else where I'm watching people not wear masks, lean in and touch each other, be around crowds in these enclosed spaces. So I don't know. We're going to talk, though, about mask anxiety and ways to cope with it because some people, uh, it's really generating a lot of discomfort and anxiety. But before we do that, let's talk about some news. Lots going on. Instagram, they are going to be blocking any kind of promotion of conversion therapy. Now, that is, I didn't know that that was happening on Instagram, but why would it not be, I suppose? So the social media giant is revealing plans to block organizations that promote conversion therapy services on their platform. Now, this is meaningful because the every single mental health organization has rejected the idea that not only that conversion therapy doesn't work, but also that it's actually psychologically traumatic and has ongoing negative outcomes, including suicide. And conversion therapy is the misuse of therapy in a psychologically abusive way to turn someone who's very healthily gay into a straight individual. Now that is again, resting on the assumption that it's not okay or healthy to be gay, which it is. Um, a lot of us are gay, bi, sexually fluid, and this is just, you know, a right-wing religious attempt to really whitewash that. It's a cultural genocide, but more importantly, it's psychologically abusive and it's been rejected. And so it's illegal in a lot of places, not everywhere. Some people backdoor the way in by calling it sex addiction, which is another a diagnosis that's not real and has been rejected and is also an attempt to shame any kind of diverse creative ways of being sexual. And this is just part of the culture we live in. You know, people are really afraid of just letting people live the life they lead. I don't, you know, again, being being hypersexual, uh, watching a lot of porn, having sex with the same gender doesn't impact anyone else, you know? So it's always fascinating when we see people trying to infringe on the rights of others. God bless it. So props to you, Instagram, take that crap down. I'm all about that. Now, we reported on this and and it's it just keeps escalating. So Lady Antebellum, the country music band had removed the name uh, antebellum from their name because it has ties to Southern uh, Confederacy and slave ownership, and it's racist. And now we're in a time where people are actually full of care and compassion, and they care about you know not perpetuating or participating in that. So they said they're going to change their name to Lady A. Okay, then it comes out that there's a singer, a uh, I think she's a blues singer, 
and she's been using the name for long, long, long time, previous to them even forming as a band. So they were like, okay, we're all going to get together. We're going to meet. We're going to figure this out. I guess it didn't go well because Lady A, as in the former Lady Antebellum, is suing the original Lady A, the blues singer who's black, a woman of color, for use of the name. Now, that's really racist. And again, they're using their financial and fame privilege to punch down. And so for a group that's trying to not be racist, they're actually using the legal system, which is quite violent and, you know, again, doesn't favor black people uh, against a black woman. So shame on you. Do better. I mean, that's a mess. You can change your name to anything and you're not going to lose fans. No one, no one follows you or listens to your music because of your band name. You know what I mean? They follow you and listen to your music because they like it. So I, I, I really can't understand why they're holding so tightly. They're willing to change the name to Lady A, which is, in my mind, a pretty far jump away from the name Lady Antebellum. So come up with something else. Dixie Chicks are just going by the chicks. Anywho, so there's an organization. It's a fashion brand. They're called, I think you pronounce it Shine, S-H-E-I-N. Well, they apologize because apparently they were selling swastika necklaces. Why? <clears throat> so they've since removed the product from the site. Okay, good. But, but Why? <laughs> do you support racism and white supremacy? Do you support Nazis? If you do, let us know and we'll just stop purchasing from you altogether. So a lot of people understandably and very reasonably were very uncomfortable and upset. But again, you know, platforms do have to take responsibility for what they're promoting, what they're selling. I know I take my platform very seriously. I'm very thoughtful about making sure I don't promote or uh, support anything that doesn't center itself in mental health. That's my, my career. And also nothing that's gonna oppress anyone. And so, look, as we've talked about before, everything is political. And I'm glad that that's being brought to light now. Ethics are tied into everything we do. Anything we purchase, anything we support, anything we say, it has a politic to it. You are reinforcing something, either positive or negative. And so we're now being a little better educated and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to that. Um, and then finally, let's land on this one, FedEx. They are putting a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, and threatening to remove their signage if the Redskins don't change their name. Now, again, that is tied to white people mocking, misusing, and stereotyping people that are of an indigenous background and Native Americans. And um, FedEx is not having it. And it's a shame that they have to take it this far because originally they requested that that happen. They have a lot of money tied into this and the Redskins were just kind of like, nah. And so FedEx is, is really having to push them. So shame on the Redskins. Again, it's not about your team name. Like let it go. Things evolve. Things change. That's just part of life for everything and everywhere. And we have to be able to let that happen. And when you're trying to put a name before the oppression of a group, you really got to check your ethics. There's something wrong there. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about something that's making a little, uh, getting some buzz. It's Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith and something that happened on their Red Table show. Uh, that, we're also going to talk about the way we respond to exes. It all kind of ties in. So anyway, we'll be back listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Uh, question of the night, as always, up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. Um, I'm very, I'm always thoughtful to not participate in gossip. I, I don't think that that's meaningful or reasonable. I don't think that we have a right to have information about people's lives. Uh, that's not journalism to me. Journalism is about reporting important information that we should have a right and have access to that impacts everyone. And the details of people, of people's private lives, especially celebrities, is just gossip. And um, 
I, I just won't purpose, you know, pr- participate in that because we've all had experiences where gossip harmed us and uh, celebrities are humans too and they have a right to privacy. So um, uh, it's in the news, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith, and it was talked about. And I'm going to talk about this topically because I'm not a, you know, a, a celebrity gossip show. So I talk about things as topics. I use some things in the news as a springboard to talk about the mental health components of something. So we're not going to get into the specifics. So please don't email me telling me I got something wrong because again, I'm calling it out that this is more of a topic driven segment. I'm not interested in who said what. Now, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith was accused by a gentleman of having had a relationship while she was married to Will. Now they're finally talking about it and they're acknowledging that it did happen, but it happened while they're separated and here's what I want to talk about. There was something that happened a few years ago, and this was with Anderson, Anderson Cooper. And he was known for having been in a long-term relationship with someone. And photos came out of Anderson on a date. And they were like, oh, we caught him cheating, blah, blah, blah. There was also something about Justin Timberlake, I think having held hands with a co-star or something while on set. And my first thought was, first off, you're all assuming they're monogamous. And it turned out Anderson is not. Anderson Cooper was not in a monogamous relationship. He was in a healthy adult open relationship. Uh, Also supported by the fact that he travels a lot. And so he wasn't cheating. And first off, that's no one's business. I don't, I don't support that being splashed across the news. That's not news. That's no one's business. Let him live his life in peace. And he was in an open relationship, so no one was doing anything bad or wrong. And that was my first thought when I saw this. Maybe they're in an open relationship, but either way, it's not my business. You know, People have different configurations and styles. Um, and it turns out that they were starting to maybe date while they were separated. And so just hold space for the fact that that is something that can happen. And when Justin Timberlake came forward, he it, it broke my heart. He was apologizing publicly for the fact that he was, quote unquote, you know, engaging in inappropriate behavior. Justin, you don't owe us an apology. Live your life, boo. That's between you and whatever commitment you made to your wife or girlfriend. I don't know if he's married or not. But that is not for us to weigh in on. That is that is none of our collective business, you know? And it was really heartbreaking to, for, to, for me to watch him feel as though he had to apologize to the world. And I was thinking, instead release a statement saying, please stay out of my relationship and leave this to me and my wife to manage or to handle. And that was the same thing I was thinking about Jada and Will. Like, I don't know why this guy felt the need to go to news outlets and share that this had happened. Like, you want attention? Like, that's all that's in that. There's there's no justice brought forward by that. There's no healing brought forward by that. That's just a, a form of toxic call-out culture. And I even saw that with Leah Michelle from Glee. Apparently, there's a lot of reports of her being a heinous person to work with. That, okay, well then don't work with her or deal with it on set, but to come forward. And I saw this pile on, all these makeup artists coming forward saying, yeah, she was heinous. And it's like, did you really need to do that? Like, what were you trying to do by coming forward and piling on and just adding more fuel to that fire? You're not protecting anyone. You're not creating any change. Address it directly. Go to people that actually can create some healing or shift around that. But the publicization of problematic behavior that doesn't impact others just really bums me out. And so I think it's a call for us to be better. Like there's so much in this. One, hold space for the fact that maybe the individual is leading a lifestyle that doesn't make sense to you. And maybe some of these couples that you're seeing doing extracurricular things are in an open relationship. But even if they're not, they're not in your life and they're really not for you to get in on, you know, and, and number, and number three or four, like don't pile on. That's not, and that's when we talk about toxic cancel culture. That's not doing anything. That's not helping anyone. You know, I'm all about having people have what we call one-to-one relationships. If you have an issue with someone, go directly and talk to them. That's how you actually create true shift and change. 
that's the compassionate, mentally healthy thing to do. And if you can't and someone's in a position of power, it's okay to have consequences. Consequences are okay. Often boundaries are need to be, be needing to be set. Often people in positions of power that do bad or toxic things need to be removed from their position of power. But it's not about the publicizing of it, you know? And I think that's what I'm taking issue with. Like, it's not healthy that we live in a culture where people want to splatter articles and conversations about what's happening everywhere as though that does anything. It's just public shaming. And I, and I want us to be better than that. I'm watching people's careers get completely tanked, uh, having not harmed anyone, but maybe having disappointed, frustrated, or let people down. And we want to just be very thoughtful about that. Again, I'm all for consequences. So if a company is supporting Trump, by all means, don't put your money into their pockets that then go into Trump's pockets. So I'm all about people not supporting Chick-fil-A because they donate to anti-LGBT com- uh, organizations and they're pro-Trump. That's fine. That's consequences. But and we, and, we, and we do want to talk about that. That is news. That is a macro level impact. But when an individual that you don't know or you're close to does something, either keep to yourself about it or approach them. Have a one-on-one conversation. Hey, I heard that you said or did this. This really let me down. This upset me. I, I always welcome that. You know, I'll put things on my social media that people don't like. Let's critically or um, let's critically and lovingly debate and discuss and unpack. But these blanket call outs and attempting to remove people from their careers is just not the way to go about it. So I know I'm kind of all over the place in this because I think that this is something that's very nuanced and very complex, but I I, I do have an issue with gossip culture and I do have an issue with call out culture, but I am okay with consequences. I am okay with people being taken out of positions of power. Um, But we have to be able to talk about these different threads and these different nuances. And it's not always clean. It's not always clear. It's not always black and white, but I think that should be the question. How can I respond to this with compassion and care? How can I actually respond to this in a way that creates true change or healing? And what is the impact of, of the decisions or the choices I'm choosing to make around how to cope with this or sit with this? Because we're talking about people. And again, we can't just vote everyone off the planet if they upset us and let us down. And we just want to be thoughtful about gossip. I walk by these magazines and I just see the way they're t- we're talking about each other, about how someone's aging or they're gaining weight or losing weight. And it's just so heartbreaking that we've gotten so comfortable just publicly talking poorly about individuals. It's just not okay. And we all know it wouldn't feel good if it happened to us, you know? All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about sex and how it should be fun. Oh yeah. I'm reminding people all the time, where's the fun in life, but also in sex. And they'll be sliding into those DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So go on our page and weigh in on that. And then later in the show, we'll be talking about mask anxiety. And mask, I mean M-A-S-K, not (laughs) M-A-S-C. It's part of our culture now, and uh, it's it's something that shapes our psyche. You know, it's it's, it's just interesting how different cultural moments really shift our psychological experience. Um, But, okay, so as we talk all the time about things like self-care, and I'm saying, where's the joy? right? You know, have you had any joy in your day? It was your weekend full of any joy. Was there any fun? Was there any leisure? And, um, you know, I often think about people like my father who just worked so much that when he did have downtime, he didn't know what to do with himself. He didn't have a hobby. He didn't have any other interests or passions. And I saw the flatness and the depressiveness in that because he wasn't ever centering his life in joy. And I would say, have fun. When's the last time you had fun? And I know that I'll never allow my life to be like that, where I just work, 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 work. And my life just has no joy or fun in it. And so 
We often see that in sex too, though. We're such a goal-oriented, productive-based culture that we forget that the most beautiful, most important things in our lives actually have no goal and have no productivity tied to them. Love, relationship, joy, trust. That's what this, that's what life is about. Not what you're getting or what you're doing or what you have. It's about these experiences. And sex is one of those. Sex is an experience. Sex is supposed to be fun. I never advocate for anyone having sex they don't want to have or sex that's not fun. And I advocate for people to have sex that they want to have and the type of sex that is fun. That is the goal. But there's so many people that are having sex they don't want to have with people they don't want to have it anymore or they're being forced to limit certain parts of themselves or their sexuality or the use of their body. And that's not the point. And so doing couples and sex therapy and marital therapy, I'm often finding myself saying to couples when they're talking about their relationship, their marriage or their sex life, I go, gosh, that doesn't even sound fun. Why are you doing it? And they don't know. They do it because that's just what we've always done or that's just how we think it is or we've been trained to believe by our friends or our parents that, you know, it's not always great being in a relationship. It can be. It should be. Conflict, yes. Disagreements, yes. Times where it's difficult, sure. But it shouldn't make our worse, our lives worse off. It shouldn't be bad for us, toxic. It shouldn't limit us, deplete us, or exhaust us. That's not the point. That's when it's time to do some work on yourselves in the relationship or maybe it's time to exit or maybe it's time to make some recommitments, reprioritization shift things around, have those difficult conversations. But sex should be fun. So ask yourself, is it? And if not, why not? Is it me? Am I not speaking up? Am I not asking for the sex I want to have? Is it my partner? Do we need to talk? Am I limiting them? Am I limiting myself? What is that about? You know, we're so afraid to have those difficult conversations. I've worked with individuals where they've never shared with their partner, you know what, honey, for years now, I haven't been enjoying the sex we're having or I've wanted to have new sex, different sex. I wanted to challenge ourselves. And that is heartbreaking. And we talk sometimes about the yes, no, maybe list where I have clients make a list of all the things they want to do. And they talk to their partner about, is this something you'd be interested in? Would you be interested in doing, but maybe making some tweaks or changes? Or are some of these things a hard no? Is there a way maybe I could do that on my own without you? Is there a way that I can use this to kind of explore, change and grow? Because, you know, that is an element that can lead to a, a, a renewed level of joy in our lives, um, energy in our relationships, but also just a sense of thriving in ourselves. It's, 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 like, it's like dessert. You know, here comes the food metaphor. You don't have to have dessert. Dessert's only purpose is to add a little more joy and pleasure to your life. But if it's not something you want or something that's going to make you feel good or doesn't taste good, you're allowed to pass on it or ask for something else. Sex is like that too. You don't have to have it, but it can bring joy in your life. It's a deeper, more powerful level to connect with someone. And, you know, it's part of that thing where I say to individuals, you know, if you're, if you're choosing a monogamous relationship, we are limited by our partner's limits. And the whole point isn't to create limits. We don't get into relationships to make someone else's life smaller, or we shouldn't anyway. Sex also shouldn't be like that. And we can't enter relationships with all these limits and then basically suck the joy out of it or suck the joy out of the sex life for our partner. That's not love. And if we're going to be monogamous, we have to be willing to be sexual. We have to be willing to go on that journey. Otherwise, that's not the right style or configuration for the two of us or the three of us or the four of us. Now that states like Massachusetts are recognizing domestic partnerships for people in relationships with more than one person, which I'm glad. People are poly. They have multiple primary ongoing relationships or a primary but some secondary and tertiary or they have a throuple, the three of them, or they have a primary but it's open and they have just sex with others. I mean, there's so many different designer relationships and we've talked about that 
that and we will continue to because it's something that's getting more normalized, especially in the generations behind us. But the whole point is, again, ask yourself, not just am I bringing joy into my life, but how about my sex life? How about my relationship? And if not, is that work for me to do or is that work I have to talk to my partner about doing? Or is that relational work? Where does that lie? What's holding me back? What's holding us back? Because often doing that work, having those difficult conversations with yourself and your partner lead to the ability to have those kinds of conversations in other domains around other topics. If we can tackle this, we can tackle a lot of things that are a little more anxiety inducing, a little more triggering. That's what's so beautiful about it. You're, you're working on just improved relational communication skills in general, deeper tolerance for more intimacy. It's a beautiful thing. All right. Uh, coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMs. So if you have a DM, you can go onto our Loveline IG page and drop it on us. Always here answering those. And uh, then we're going to be talking about mask anxiety. Welcome to 2020. That's really what I say when I see that. It's like <sighs> seeing all these designer masks, et cetera, et cetera. It's like it's just a part of our culture and our lives. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I don't know what to do. I think my husband's been going out, not cheating, but I think he's starting to do coke. He's with his brothers. I know because I have his location, but the other day I asked for his credit card and he gave me his wallet and there was a little baggie in it. What's the best way to confront him? Well, we don't confront people. And the reason why I say that is because that word often has a sense of aggression, right? Um, and certain, and, and certain like a, some sense of like, I don't know, it's too solid. You don't know. And I want you to have the conversation while not knowing. I want you to approach him lovingly, not knowing what is, what is in that bag. Hear the words I'm using? Approach him lovingly while not knowing. He's done nothing bad or wrong. He's an adult. If he chose to use illegal substances, that's his life. And your work as a partner is to understand why, how is that going? What is the impact it has on you and him? How do you feel about that? Like the legal implications. So there's legal issues, but I just mean from a psychological perspective, you're, you're his partner. You're not his parent. You're not a police officer. Don't approach individuals that are adults from a top-down position. We want to run mutuality-based relationships where everyone is equal power. And so I'm very, I'm very cautious when I hear someone saying, I'm going to confront them. It's like, you don't get to have that much power control. You're not their, their mom or dad, right? You can lovingly, as their partner, who has as much equal power as they have and vice versa, say, hey, I found this bag. I, I'm concerned. I believe it's drugs. Like, can we talk about what this is? And have you been using? And can you tell me why? Um, can you tell me why you haven't told me? And that's how you approach it. Because this person might say, yeah, I, I party sometimes. And then you have to say, okay, well, that scares me or I'm happy to join in. I mean, I, I don't know what your relationship is to drugs or alcohol. Um, but my point is, you're a partner. So lovingly approach, open-minded to find out what it is and what it's about and see what he says. I mean, some people might say, yeah, I like to use drugs sometimes. And that's... And that's something that they as an adult get to share and process with you the reasoning and, and if it's an issue and you can share your concerns and you have an adult conversation and no one's attacked, no one's yelled at, no one's shamed. That's also how you approach children about things like this. Hey, I found this. And that's what you're also communicating is I'm someone you can talk to because people aren't honest with others that aren't safe to be honest with. If you're someone who's curious and loving while holding boundaries and all of that 
and accountability and consequences. But if you're loving and open, they'll approach you. But often parents will say, oh, my kid doesn't ever tell me the truth. Well, because I'm watching you and you don't seem safe for them to go to with the truth. You're very punitive. You're aggressive. You're shaming. And so I want to make sure you are not that person. And so you lovingly, calmly sit down and say, honey, this is an uncomfortable thing to talk about. But when you gave me your wallet, I went in and I found this bag and I don't, I don't know what this substance is. I believe it's Coke. Can we talk about that? And give him space to tell you. Maybe he'll say it isn't Coke or maybe he'll tell you it is. It was a one-time use or maybe he'll tell you I was holding it for someone. I, I don't know. But my concern is the impact it has on everyone's mental health and the relationship. And not everyone that uses drugs is an addict. Some people can casually use drugs. And maybe he was afraid to share that with you, that it's something he's been exploring. And you have to sit down and talk about what that means for your relationship, you know? I don't know what your history is or your understanding of addiction versus drug use. Um, and so, yeah, powerful conversation, important one to have. So uh, sit down and talk about it. All right, here's another one. Dear Dr. Chris, I'm losing weight during quarantine. And my friends are actually making fun of me for it. I know they're kidding, but I'm trying really hard and they're making me feel dumb. Here's the thing. Don't talk about people's bodies. Like, that's my hard line. Um, you don't know why they're losing weight, why they're gaining weight. If they want to lose weight, if they want to gain weight, maybe they're sick. You know, people have said, oh, you look great. You lost weight. And I was trying to put on weight. I've sometimes been trying to lose weight. And people say, you look great. You've bulked up. Don't talk about people's bodies. It would just don't. If they want to talk about their experience of themselves, they'll bring it up to you. But it's just not safe in our culture because the way we've set our culture up, where we've given everyone body dysmorphia. I haven't met anyone that doesn't have some kind of anxiety about some element of their body, their penis size, their cellulite, their stretch marks, body hair, their height, their weight, their race, their skin color, their abilities, their disabilities. Don't talk about people's bodies. You don't need to point out that someone's skin is broken out. They know. We live in a culture that's always reminding them that they should be using a product to make sure that, that it isn't. And so a loving, caring relationship is one where, hey, how are you? How's your day? How's your mental health? How was your weekend? What's going on? You don't talk about people's bodies. I can't stand when people talk about my body. I'm open to compliments, but they don't need to be about my body. It can just be, how are you? You, you seem like you're doing well. You know what I mean? Take it off the table. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore confidence. Coming up next, talking about mask anxiety. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're going to talk about mask anxiety. Now, the reason why this is really interesting because you see all the memes and the stories of people that are talking about panicking and not being able to breathe. And I want to just say that there is some legitimacy to that. Not that they aren't going to be able to use a mask, but because it's not something that is natural for us. We are not trained like some people that have to wear masks of different kinds for different kinds of jobs to get familiar and comfortable and to also train our bodies to not see it as something to have a panic response around, right? And so there is a thought process behind all this, right? Because when we're wearing a mask, if there's anything over our face, our natural unconscious response is, is for our body to detect that we're not getting the resources we need to survive, the air. Like our body is supposed to have a suffocating response when we initially have something covering our face. It's supposed to tell our body to remove it or try to protect ourselves. So any kind of panic or anxiety is a natural reaction that's intended to save our lives. Like our body is supposed to be doing that. So your body's working, you know what I mean? Like we're not soldiers trained how to wear these masks. Well, I'm not a scuba diver, right? So this is a very uncommon thing. 
thing. So my body needed time to kind of settle down. And I've seen that happening when I'm doing some kind of cardio where there's moments where I have to do some self-talk because my body initially has a sense of get it off, get it off, get it off. And I'm hypersensitive and very claustrophobic. And so I need a lot of space around me. And part of my claustrophobia, and this is to see if others can relate to this, is having things like on me. I can't have a lot of things on me. I can't wear a mask and a hat and glasses and gloves. It's a lot. It starts to really stress my body out. And so for me, there's a lot of things I have to do. And some of these fall under the tips I'm going to give you. So the first one is learn how to control your breathing. We do want to know that our nervous system the one way we can control it and really soothe ourselves is to control our breath. Controlling our breath and working with our breath is life-changing. And, and, and so controlling your breathing, learning how to slow down, learn how to trust our body, trust the mask will help. And you might wanna do that at home before you've exited. So you can practice getting familiar and comfortable with it. For some people, maybe you wanna practice wearing the mask for longer periods of time while at home so you can take breaks. But you wanna learn how to control your breath. Inhale for four seconds, hold your breath for seven, exhale for eight. Just get really familiar with the mask on and different levels of holding, expelling. Also, gradually learn how to tolerate it. For some people, just to go out in the world and have to wear it for a full day is going to be very overwhelming and very threatening, right? It's a lot of intensity. It's a long period of time to, to have something covering what are your mass, massive ways for inhaling and exhaling, your nose and your mouth. And so again, practice at home. It's like anything else. Before you go out into the world, uh, maybe with a pair of shoes that aren't comfortable, you practice wearing around the house to break them in. Uh, high heels. I've never worn them, but they look ridiculously impossible to wear. I'm sure people have practiced wearing those at home before they went out in the world stumbling around, you know what I mean? Or maybe not, I don't actually know how that goes. But you want, it's practice. Also controlling timing and location. Going out maybe for small periods of time so that if you get uncomfortable, you can get back to your car and get home very quickly. And that's what some people do with social anxiety or agoraphobia is they go out of the house for short periods of time knowing that they have control and that they can exit when they need to. We don't just plop them down on a bus or a train that's hours long and say, deal with it. That actually adds more trauma and panic. That's actually not helpful. I don't agree with the idea of just you know throwing someone in a pool and saying, you'll figure out how to swim. That can actually really traumatize them and make them have a, a, a more uh, intense fear of, let's say, the water because they actually don't will learn how to swim while doing that. So it doesn't have the positive outcome that you're looking for. But also finding the right mask that's, that, that's for you. My mom, initially, the mask that she had gotten was way too thick. And that was a real concern because it actually wasn't making it as easy for her to practice and to calm down her anxiety. And so we had to get her one that was far thinner, more breathable, but also one that would still protect her. Uh, she had reached out and talked to her doctor. She also has respiratory issues, so that was really meaningful. Um, and, and so, yeah, so do that. Know that there are different fabrics that are going to be um, more intensive. I initially had gotten one that actually was also very thick. It wasn't meant to be worn for a long period of time and it was more fashion based. And so it wasn't really centered in, oh, go to the gym or go spend your entire day out of the house wearing this, especially in the heat or the sun. And so there's thinner ones that will be more breathable, more comfortable. Um, and, and finally, just remind yourself why you're doing it. Like when something has meaning and value, it makes it more tolerable. You're not just doing it for the heck of it. You're doing it for a real purpose. You're protecting yourself and also others. And that's what kind of shifts our relationship to and our experience of something when there's actually something really meaningful and legit behind it. So remind yourself, 
You know what I mean? It's not a loss of control. It's also you taking control, taking control of your impact on others. Because again, this is something that's mandated. Again, here in LA where I live, you will get fined for not wearing one and all the stores mandate in order to enter to wear one. And so this is just kind of a part of life. This isn't something that you get to weigh in on whether or not you're down with it. This is this is absolutely something you have to participate in. And finally, remember to clean them. I hadn't thought about that for a minute. And I realized that like I was wearing one that hadn't been cleaned uh, recently. And that's going to lead to maybe your face getting um, irritated, breaking out, uh, a rash, just general hygiene. Uh, you're wearing it out in the world, so there's stuff on the outside of it. Sometimes you flip it and you're wearing it inside out at times. So wash it. You can wash it in the sink, hot water and soap, general hot water and soap in a mug. That's what I do. I don't put it in the dishwasher. Uh, I don't run it through the um, washer or dryer. I just kind of clean it in the sink, hand wash it. It's really simple. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about sexuality, all the different kinds that can show up. And again, this is also just because we want to be prepared for what's coming behind us, raise our kids aware, and also just have a sense of security and confidence. And it also helps people identify who they are in the world, which normalizes. And that is what we call mental health. All right. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right. We're back and we're going to talk about sex. Imagine if Loveline was nothing but sex. Some people are like, yes, yes, we can. And we would like to see it as such. No, come on. It's mental health. We got to talk about everything. Everything actually has a mental health component to it. Just like how we say everything has politics related to it. Everything. So is, so is mental health. Sex too, though. Uh, sex is involved in everything. Remember, sex is everywhere. It's always operating on us. It's not something we just do at home with a partner in the bedroom with our clothes off. Sex is everywhere. Sex is what I choose to put on in the morning clothing wise, whether I want to wear something that shows my body, hides my body. Uh, how the fabric feels on my body. Sex is related to the things my eyes see as I'm moving out in the world, different things that are attractive to me, body shapes, sizes, people, genders, topics. You hear songs where people are singing about love and sex. I mean, it's everywhere. And that's not bad. You see it on billboards. Even if we were to cover up everyone and not actually use sexual erotic words, sexuality is still there. We are still gonna see human beings with attractive faces and body shapes, and that's not bad or wrong. The work is about learning how to encounter and deal with sex, not hide and avoid and try to protect ourselves from it. But there's a time when we did. There's a time when everyone covered everything up and they even covered up the legs of a chair. I mean, we were that anxious around bodies and sex. We were that sex and body negative, but sex and body positivity is about acknowledging that these things exist and having a better relationship to them, learning how to encounter them. It's everywhere. And that's why it's so funny when people are like, oh, you're addicted to sex. It's like saying you're addicted to breathing or water. It's everywhere and everything. You can't take yourself away from it. When are you not engaging in it? It's always operating. It's it's a system. Our our uh, sexual psychology is a system that's always on. Um, and again, the work is about learning how to encounter it, not how to push it away. And that's the work, right? Mental health is about acknowledging all that's existent in the world and having familiarity with it. And also identifying and integrating it if it's who you are. And so that's part of our mental health is, is finding confidence in sex and sexuality, especially with ourselves. Now, part of that is identifying who we are in the world. I don't like labels, but what labels can do is they can normalize, help us build community, and actually feel like a total human being. And so I like labels for that purpose, but I tell people to hold them lightly. Because when we use labels, whether it's a mental health diagnosis or sexual orientation of some kind, 
it can limit us if we buy into it too much. We can stay within those confines. For instance, if someone identifies as hetero, they stop maybe trying to think about or explore sex with the same gender. If someone identifies as gay, interested in the same sex, they sometimes stop thinking about or trying to explore sex outside of that. And so remember, sex is an open system. Just like when we're kids, we are very turned on and aroused by just seeing maybe an underwear ad. But as we grow, it expands and we start to find more and new things erotic and sexual and that turn us on as we have more encounters. And so what we were turned on by as a kid is not what we're turned on by as an adult. And if you're really open, you realize as you explore that you're constantly changing and shifting. And as we say all the time, we can learn to eroticize anything. And that's not bad because it's never about what you're turned on by, it's what you do about that. We need to have boundaries and impulse control and consent and consider the impact on ourselves and others, but just the recognition that something turns you on isn't bad. So it's okay to have whatever sexual orientation you have. And remember, sexual orientation is more than just gender choice. It's a huge constellation of all the things that turn you on. So we're talking more about things like asexuality, which when I was first training as a sex therapist, long time ago, we thought, it was hard for us to accept that. We thought everyone was sexual, everyone's not. Just like not everyone's romantic. And there's a difference between sexuality and romanticism. Some people are aromantic, which means they might have a sexuality, but they're not necessarily romantically interested in partnership, pair bonding, or relationality. And these are the things that start to normalize people when they go, oh my God, that's what it is. Why am I never interested in dating or having a relationship? I'm aromantic, but yet I don't mind sex. Or why do I like dating? but I'm never interested in sex. Maybe I'm more asexual or maybe I'm more solo sexual. I just prefer sex with myself. I don't like partnered sex. That's okay. And so some people can be, let's say, maybe um, bisexual. They like both genders for sex, but they might only be heteroromantic. They only date someone of the opposite sex because what you are interested in romantically is not necessarily the same thing sexually. Those are two different processes, but we tend to collapse them down. If someone enjoys having sex with the same gender, well, we're gonna assume that's what they also date and we're just gonna call them gay. But there's more nuance and complexity. Uh, to that, where often people tend to be a little more explorative in their sexuality, so maybe sexually fluid, bisexual, but in their romance, they tend to maybe be a little more specific and only date a certain gender. But some people are both, where they're totally pansexual and panromantic, where it really doesn't matter. Trans individuals, cis individuals, masculine presenting, femme presenting, they're just not really tied to gender-based orientations. And then we also talk about things like fetish sexual, which means it's not really about the gender of the person. It's more the behavior, the clothing, the sight, the smell, uh, the scene. It's just not really tied to gender so much. And that's okay too. And check in on that. Uh, you know, what's my sexuality? What are all the things I'm turned by sexually? It does it even relate to gender. What about romance? What are the kinds of genders I choose to date? Is that different from what I'm open to sexually? And then is it even always human-based or is it sometimes fetish-based, kinky? Is it more about objects and scenarios and scenes and the person isn't so relevant? And then also how much, what's my sexuality in terms of self versus with other? Am I more geared towards sex with others and sex with myself isn't as important or hot or meaningful or is it the reverse? I prefer maybe sex more with myself alone and I'm less interested in partnered sexuality but yet open to maybe romantically dating or socializing. And I that's why I love sex and relationships is it's so nuanced, it's so complex, it's so creative, it's so diverse, and that's the beauty of it. Like people get really afraid of this kind of conversation. No, find the value in it, let go. It normalizes. And these terms help people find community, others like them, that can remind them you're okay, you're healthy, come join us, right? And uh, a lot of people come in thinking there's something wrong with them because they assume I should want sex with certain genders and date them and whatever it is. And it's like, no, 
And all these things can also change. And that's why I say hold them lightly. Just because that's what you feel or identify with now doesn't mean that's how it's always going to be. And uh, you want to love your partner based on who they come out as because this kind of topic is what might bring someone to come out to you as being different than what you thought they were because they're learning more about themselves. And that's why I love questions like this. It's, it's, it's part of mental health. All right, coming up next, question of the night. Still a little bit of time to weigh in on that. And then we'll be doing some DMs. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back now. Time for question of the night. So there's a poll and the poll said, do you feel relationship anxiety or sex anxiety? This is really powerful coming off the topic we just had last segment. And uh, 75% of people said, yeah, they feel relationship anxiety or sex anxiety, 75%. Now, again, based on what we talked about last segment, that might mean because you might be having romance or sex with something or someone that's outside of who you truly are. So again, Sexual anxiety, is that tied to how you feel about your body, how you tied to how you feel about sex, or you may be having sex with genders that aren't necessarily tied to who you are. And then relationship anxiety, maybe you're not really tapping into who you are romantically. Maybe you're more biromantic, or maybe you know, you're know you less biromantic than you realize because you like to have sex with all genders. You assume you like to date them all, but you don't. So anyway, last segment kind of clarified some of that. So 75% of people though, wow, relationship or sex anxiety. Give me a call, y'all. I'm doing teletherapy, sex and relationship therapy. You need it. All right. Question tonight. Uh, I'm sorry. The, yeah. Question tonight was what do you think causes your relationship or sex anxiety? All right. So we're going to unpack it and go deeper because that's always the question. Like what is this really rooted in? And that's why I like doing the work I do therapeutically because I get to be a part of someone's journey of figuring out who they are. And the answer is always you're okay as you are. They don't need to have anxiety. Let's work on acceptance around who we are. Let's work on celebrating who we are. Let's work on finding the relationships and the communities that validate and reflect back that who we are is of worth and value because it's not always needing to change. It's usually the work is about liberating ourselves and accepting ourselves. That's that's mental health. Um, so I made that joke earlier when I say, you know, you need the therapy, but that's usually just to do supportive work. So question of the night is, what do you think causes your relationship or sex anxiety? First person said being hurt in the past. Yep, it's a big part of it. We've been wounded and now we associate sex or relationships with wounding, which is why I tell everyone, stop wounding people. When you have sex with them, take into account how you're gonna impact them, leave lovingly. Don't harm. Don't leave people worse off from having dated or had sex with you. There's a lot of people, life is hard enough, and then they move forward, unable to just enter in a really neutral way, feeling good. Uh, question like, what do you think causes your relationship or sex anxiety? Someone said loss of control and possible infidelity. Got a lot of trust issues. It's also because some people aren't worthy of trust. You know, it's really hard. Again, that goes back to the question, the answer before that. People have been hurt. They're afraid to let go. They're afraid to trust. That's actually what the work is. You know, I was harmed, but I'm going to trust again. Why? Because that's what's going to serve me. And I'm going to, I'm going to believe in the next person. I'm going to choose people though that are worthy of me believing in them, you know, because um, people are always telling us in micro macro ways from the door, whether or not we can trust or believe them, you know? So, uh, yeah. Someone else said fear of abandonment, insecure, feeling unsafe. Oh, you know, stems from childhood trauma. Yeah, it could. Sometimes it does. Sometimes we also put a little too much pressure on our childhood because everything that's happened since then either reinforces and makes it worse or unpacks it, makes it easier. So know that, you know, our childhood isn't destiny. Everything that happens after can heal that. And that's why I'm really thoughtful about working with clients who've had early traumas to make sure they're not recreating, perpetuating and choosing people that can really give them a corrective experience and kind of heal that. And that's why I love how fluid and flexible our psychology is. We can heal things and we can let go sometimes of the fact that that trauma had occurred. It's not meaningful or relevant. It's no longer connected to who we are, right? We don't always have to carry it forward. Question tonight is what do you think causes your relationship or sex anxiety? Someone said lack of confidence, 
low self-worth. Picked avoidantly attached men, so always in fear. Yeah, don't pick people that are avoidant. That will really trigger a sense of something's off, something's wrong, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. Pick people that lean in. Pick people that are honest and authentic. Pick people that want a lot of closeness and intensity and intimacy, and that, that will kind of start to heal that. Someone else said around why they think they have uh, or what causes their sex relationship anxiety, they said, fearing to leave me. Yep, that's real. A lot of people have that. Also, someone else said, fear of abandonment. Yeah, that's because I guess you have been in relationships where people did do that. And so it's about moving slow, setting realistic expectations, and letting people actually have a chance to prove to you that that doesn't have to be what happens. Dating people that are healthier so that they leave lovingly and become friends with you after sex and romance is no longer available around the table, thereby showing you that people stick around even more powerfully than you thought. Someone else said their reason for having sex or relationship anxiety is lack of confidence. Someone else said physical body. And that makes me sad. And that's our culture telling us we have to lose weight. We have to count calories. We have to have a gym body. All these different things that tell us we have to do anti-aging. We have to get rid of cellulite. We're not allowed. They tell us we can't be who we are. Start following and listening to and supporting things that say you're fine the way you are. There's so many beautiful things out there now that are reflecting that back. TV shows, songs, artists, pages. I, I make sure my social media is always reflecting back that you're okay at whatever body shape or size you are because we have so much trauma feeling like we're not okay, we're not desirable, we're not attractive, we're not okay to date the way we are. And that's not okay. It's just not okay. I'm so burnt out on a lot of these companies. It's, it's just not okay. Someone else said for question tonight, what do you think causes your relationship or sex anxiety? Someone said the extra stress from Corona. Things are harder to control outside of our household. I know. I so I, that's real. It's real. You know, people, I notice that you walk down the street and people jump when you get close. Part of that's smart. Part of that's also now we're traumatizing ourselves where we're seeing others as dangerous. Touch anxiety and touch fear. It's not great. You know, um, touch is something we need. Closeness is something we need. And now that it's rooted in something dangerous, it's really hard for our brain and body to navigate and negotiate that. Um, so it is, I'm glad you are protecting yourself and we're going to have to really figure this out when it is safe to start to encounter people. But right now it's just not. And so it is good to kind of honor some of that. It isn't safe to, to be touched and close to people unless it's people that are self-isolating in your household. That's something different. And, uh, finally we'll stop on this one. Someone said relationship anxiety because I don't want to be suffocated. Yep. So you do then maybe want to date someone more avoidant. You're perfect for someone avoidant, someone who doesn't want to talk every day or have a lot of closeness or wants to move slow. That's perfect for you. Someone more casual. All right, coming up next, DMs, listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore with confidence. Excuse me, here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, what is your opinion on having an open relationship? I'm currently in one, but I'm also dating someone else. I told the one person about the other, but I haven't told the one about the other. <laughs> Do I really need to? Okay, so let's unpack this. This is actually uh, two separate questions, right? Um, opinion on open relationships, and then who do I need to tell? First off, uh, I'm down for people having open relationships. Uh, most people do. We have the high, a high cheating rate, and that's a sign of people wanting open relationships, uh, just not being honest with it. An open relationship, if that's the word you're using, means it's open, it's ethical, and it's honest. If you're not being open and ethical about it, then you're not having an open relationship. You're doing something else. So adults saying to other adults, I want to have a primary, I want to have sex with others, whatever the configuration is, whatever style or configuration structure you choose, it's fine as long as you're all on the same page, right? 
There's a lot of great books out there to read up on it. But again, the key term is everyone knows and it's ethical. You're not dating someone without them aware of the fact that you're in something. I tell people that I have a primary and are looking to date others to tell them because some people do want a primary and they might want at some point to live with you, marry you, have kids or whatever it is. And withholding that that's never available isn't ethical dating. It's not. So I do believe you need to put that on your profile or you do need to come out and say that so people have choice it's called informed consent if you're not informing them then they can't consent and that means you're having a non-consensual relationship the loving caring compassionate thing to do is tell them who you are and what you're looking for from the door and i understand some people say i know but i'm in a committed relationship and i'm open or poly and others won't give me a chance and it's like i get that but lying to them is is absolutely not the way to get them in is to mislead them get them hooked or attached and then swoop in last minute saying oh by the way that's not the way to do it that's not mentally healthy that's not compassionate so again open relationships are always ethical and have informed consent. Everyone's aware of what's happening. And that kind of goes to your second question. Yeah, you need to tell everyone. You need to tell the person, the person you're, you're in a primary with needs to know that you're dating and the person you're dating needs to know you have a primary. That's called informed consent. And people can't consent if they're not aware of fully what they're consenting to. That otherwise we're lying and we're manipulating. Uh, here's another one, Dave Dr. Chris, COVID is spiking. And honestly, I'm not sure what to believe anymore. Should I be more scared this time around? I really don't know if mental health can survive another lockdown. It sounds super selfish, but I don't know what to do. Yep, uh, it is real. It's actually worse than it was before and it's getting worse. I am worried about what's coming next and I'm more worried because people aren't taking it seriously or following the rules. So we should be worried. We should be concerned. We should be a little panicked. And I don't want you shaming others, but yeah, I want you holding people accountable. If you're living with people that are coming into the house, you all sit down and you make house rules because every decision those around you make impacts you. And so if you are living with others and self-isolating with them, yes, you guys have a family or a community packed and rule about what precautions we're taking or otherwise it's not safe to all be living together. Um, so you should be nervous, but there are precautions we can take. And again, it's the same things we've been saying over and over and over and over and over and over. Number one, don't listen to the president and we can't always listen to our local government. Listen to the Center for Disease Control. Dr. Fauci's my man and he's telling us we should be scared and we should be worried. So you, it is not safe to socialize. Let me just keep saying that. It is not safe to socialize. There are safer ways to do it. And we all get to decide for ourselves the level of risk we're going to take. Wear a mask. Wear gloves if you're going to be touching things. Don't be indoors if you don't have to be. And if you are, it's for a short period of time. Outdoors is better. Not near crowds and six feet away. I've been doing that for months now, following all the rules. And uh, it served me. And it makes me feel safe. And it makes me feel like I'm responsible for taking care of others. And that's what this is about. Take care of yourself and take care of others. But yeah, you should be nervous. And how do we cope with the anxiety? There's not really a lot we can do because we should be anxious. There's a real threat. And I don't want to patronize or walk people out of having anxiety around a real threat. And so it's about making sure you have safety in your environment. That's the best you can do. You follow the rules and make sure those that are around you and that you're coming in contact with are following the rules as well. That's all we got. That's the best we can do. And if you're doing that, you have to then be willing to accept whatever comes after that. That is the best we can do. And this is called best case scenario. I don't have some magical psychological technique to not make us afraid of a pandemic that we should be afraid of. Like that's real. And you know, psychology is about working with truth and reality. And so we have to learn how to sit with that fear and anxiety. And again, the best way we can feel more empowered and in control is to set boundaries and take control of the environments we interact with and the people. So that's what you got. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore the confidence. That's our show. We'll be back tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. 
Eastern. As always, you can check out old episodes on uh, wearechannelq.com or radio.com. And Thursday night, check out I'm Listening Live. That's at 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. And that's on all the radio.com handles, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, Thanks for hanging out with me. And you all have a beautiful, beautiful night.